We're in Matthew 25, and a series of parables that Jesus gives, he tells one that is fairly well known among us, and here he tells the parable of the talent, speaking of the kingdom of God and what it is like. Listen to the word of the Lord, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, for it, that is the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He would receive the five talents when at once and traded with, uh, with them, and, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had re- received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, the inspired word of the Lord from the lips of our Lord Jesus. You may be seated. I don't know if any of you are into classical music, but there is a kind of violin played in classical music that has such prestige and worth that people will wait in line to hear such a violin be played. Of course, I'm talking about the Stradivarius violin. Uh, The Stradivarius violin, or Strat, as some uh, call it, was created by an Italian named Antonio Stradivari in the 17th and 18th centuries. There are only about 500 known in the world, and they are worth millions and millions apiece. In Chicago, Illinois, there is a group called the Stradivari Society. This group's sole purpose is to help put expensive, high-quality violins in the hands of world-class violinists. 
They are a kind of dating service, if you will, an e-harmony between Stradivarius, uh, violins, and usually not-so-rich, very poor musicians. The only, uh, the only condition to receiving one of these uh, Stradivarius violins from the Stradivarius Society uh, is that the musicians have to take really good care of the violin and they have to give two command performances a year with the Stradivarius. John Ryan of the Stradivarius Society sums up well the intent of why this, this uh, place uh, exists, this Stradivarius Society exists. He says, great violins, quote, are not like great works of art. They were never meant to be hung on walls or put in glass cases. They were meant to be played. Ryan continues, an instrument loses its tone if it isn't played regularly. An instrument gains value when it is used more and more, unquote. Today we're starting a series, a four-week series, to talk about what it means to give to the one. And I would submit to you that we all are gifted in amazing ways that sometimes we don't understand. Yes, even financially. So that God himself, like the Stradivarius Society, has given us gifts that are of such worth and value that we can use them for greater purposes. I would submit to you that in your wallet, you have a Stradivarius. And to that end, we are this, uh, th- today going to look at what is required of those who are being given the gift of resources for God's purposes. God has given us extraordinary gifts, and that really does go far beyond just money. We could talk about relationships, spiritual gifts, your uh, abilities and, that you can do in your workplace, uh, a whole host of things that you own. All of that has been given by God. But Jesus in Matthew 25 tells us himself what God is looking for from us in the use of our resources. So here's our question for the day. What is the God and creator, the father of all believers, looking for when he entrusts us with gifts? And we're going to look particularly at financial gifts as well. And you've got to remember, this comes straight from Jesus' own mouth, our Lord and King, uh, the one who actually talked about money way more than most of us are comfortable with, including me. But Jesus himself tells us in this text a story, a parable, pointing to a larger truth of what God expects of his people, even as we are given financial gifts. So I'm going to give you today five basic truths about um, about God's gifts and how we can respond spiritually to when God gives us the many things that we enjoy in life. So let's start out with the first verses and the first basic truth. In verse 14, Jesus speaks for, he's explaining what the kingdom is like. Uh, The kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Now, the parable of talents is one of four straight parables of Jesus where a running theme throughout all the parables is basically this. There's a master or owner of property, a business owner, if you will, who 
is going on a long journey. It'll feel like he's gone for a long time, but he's leaving his business, his estate, all of his resources with some key people called stewards. In this case, they're called servants in our text. In this parable, apparently a wealthy man, a very wealthy man, as we'll see in a second, uh, goes on such a journey and leaves all of these servants his estate. And he leaves it in the hands of three different servants. Now, Jesus is saying something already in this text about money, about resources, about all the gifts we receive from God. And it's basically this. This is how God's kingdom works. God is the creator. And by virtue of his creation of all things, he is therefore the owner of all things. Uh, everything belongs to him as the king of kings. And men like us, all of us as men and women and children, we are mere stewards of what God has entrusted to us as he uh, has given us over to be stewards of his resources. Now, these truths are consistent with texts such as Psalm 24, which says the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, not half, not three quarters, not 99 percent. Every single thing is his. Psalm 5010 talks about the, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, uh, what someone might think on their, is on their farm, uh, their own cattle or their own resources, is really actually the Lord's implicitly. See, the point of creation is simply this. God, by right of being a creator, owns everything. Even what we work for in our lives, he is implicitly the owner of that. On the other hand... We are stewards. We're the stewards of what God gives us. We take God's stuff in all its forms and are supposed to use it for his purposes. This is consistent with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You might recall God creates the heaven and the earth and he creates Adam and Eve. And he blesses them in Genesis 1.28 and says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Later on in Genesis 2, he says to Adam, he wants him to cultivate and to guard the garden. All because it's God's. There it is, that picture of God giving and blessing the first human beings with the gifts of life. And what's that got to do with us as stewards, as God as owner? Well, as Matthew 25 makes it clear, everything we have belongs to God. We are mere stewards of what he offers. Now, I know as sure as I say this, there's inside of all of us, including me, just so you know, as I think about this during the week and was praying about it, I was thinking, wait a minute now, I've worked hard for what we have as a family, what I have in my life. I put tons of time into that. How does that belong to God? Well, the short answer is everything you have is derivative of God. Even your gifts to work, your brain power, Everything you have in creativity is really a reflection and a gift from God himself as he created you as an individual human being. Therefore, by default, God himself is the true owner. The second truth that comes out of our text, the second basic truth that comes out of our text today, uh, comes in verse 15 where it says that God entrusts all of his stuff to these servants of his. Uh, that is true for us. He entrusts us with his stuff. That means he lets us enjoy the benefits of, of his resources, but this is key, 
for a purpose. For a purpose. Now, the character of God in his giving is revealed in this text. And you know how that is, how that comes to be? Not only that he entrusts us as the owner of all things, but get this. He is revealed in his generosity by the very nature of the gifts he describes in our text. Did you notice that he gave one guy five talents, another guy two talents, and another guy one talent? Now, at first glance, I know my, my head went when I first read this. is Oh, yeah, he gave one five dollars, one two dollars, one one dollar, right? It goes to show how cheap I am sometimes. So, uh, but you ought to know this. A talent is a lot of money. It's 10 to 20 years wages back in the ancient world. So really what he's saying is he gave one guy $5 million, another guy $2 million, and yet another guy $1 million. In other words, God is like really generous. He is good to us in what he provides. And this is a key truth that God reveals of his character Not only is he the owner of all things, he is generous in what he gives to us. He wants us to enjoy him generously. So, we really come to a place of understanding Jesus then as this uh, God, as this generous God. And, And the way I think about it is in the first verses we hear this language of a creator who owns things. But in this verse you get the echoes of a father. Who gives generously. Now that is something we all struggle with in our view of God. Is very often we think of God as the taskmaster. The businessman who is about productivity. When in point of fact God himself is. First and foremost our father. Who loves us. And gives generously out of love to his children. To be sure. As this text says. He is generous with some more than others with resources, according to their ability. In other words, he doesn't give the guy with one talent ability five talents and vice versa. What he's saying is, in other words, some of us can handle money. Some of us can handle more money. All of us struggle with money, as we'll talk about next week as well. But don't miss that in every case, God is generous. Even the guy who got one talent got a million dollars. I mean, would you turn that down? God is that generous to us. So what should be the response of a people to when God is so generous and good? How should we, uh, what is the key heart response in particular to the generosity that even affects our generosity? Well, in October 1994, the AP reported that Harvard University's law school announced that it just received the largest law school gift in history, a cool $13 million gift. The donors were Gustav and Rita Hauser. What inspired the gift? Was it a political agenda? Nope. Was it uh, that they wanted to see a building in their name? Nope. You know what motivated them? Romance and gratitude. You see, Rita and Gustav had met in law school at Harvard back in 1955. 
and a year later they were married. And Gustav went off, and even his wife went off to be successful business people, successful business people. And Gustav went off to become a, a major leader with Warner uh, a Corporation and cable in the cable industry. And eventually, he helped found a little thing called the Nickelodeon Network. The wonder of what they did was they gave out of thanksgiving, out of gratitude, out of the fact that they felt like they had been blessed being a part of Harvard's law school. That is to be our response to God when he gives. We live in an entitlement age where we're always being told to pursue more. How often do we stop and say, thank you? To God for what he's given. I mean with a sincere thank you for this gift. For these gifts that you give to me. Fifty times in 150 psalms. It says something along the lines of give thanks to the Lord. At least eight times in the psalms it says give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. The common refrain of these psalms is to give thanks because he's been good to us, generous to us, because he loves us as a father. If you want to be a generous person in your life, the key starting point is actually not saying, how can I give more money? It's doing the hard work of thanking God for what you already have enjoyed. That's the starting point. So, Pay attention to what God's given and give thanks to him and how he's been generous to you. All right. God is, our, is the owner of everything. He has entrusted us with his resources. We're to respond with thanks. Third basic truth that comes out of this text uh, comes uh, in God's gift in, uh, in three responses of the servants that are described in our text. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. It made five more talents. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Notice these three responses reveal something. They reveal something about what they think and believe regarding the owner and what he's given them. The five-talent guy apparently, and it says at once went off and traded in some way that he uh, doubled the owner's investment from $5 million to $10 million. That's pretty cool. The second guy took his $2 million and likewise, in some shape, form, or fashion, made another $2 million out of that. But the third servant, he dug a hole in the ground and hid the money. He hid a $1 million. In short, the third guy which is what Jesus wants to emphasize is a very distinct difference, played it safe, really safe, super safe. This is a contrast that Jesus brings out in our text. And it's instructive to all of us, especially in a politically conservative environment post the recession. What we're learning about uh, many of us is, is post-recession, uh, Americans, are, uh, as economists are saying, are saving money more than ever, which is a good thing. We've learned a lesson. That's good. But you know, when, you're, when there's an extreme of, 
of uh, abusing uh, finances, of actually being the spendthrift, there's also another extreme, hoarding. Hoarding. And that's what this guy's doing in our text. He's effectively like these guys you see on the television, on Discovery Channel or whatever it is, with these hoarders who have these houses full of stuff you can't even move around in their rooms. He is effectively playing it safe like that with the resources that the owner had given him. And why is he doing that? Because he's distrustful. The irony is God is generous to all of us. Why do you think he's so generous to us? To hoard? To even be a spendthrift like the prodigal is? No, he is generous because he wants us to risk for his kingdom. Now listen to me. I'm not saying go be foolish with the resources you have. But I don't think that's our problem in our time. Our problem is we're holding on more tightly than ever. And he wants us to risk for his kingdom What is it Jack Miller says? Risk or rust. Risk or rust. What then is the difference between the three stewards that we are talking about in our text? What is the main thing and and what they did with their resources? Well, simply put, two two of the servants did something with God's resources. Two of the servants did something with them. One of the servants did nothing with the resources. Now, as sure as I say do something, someone might say, you don't understand. I don't have enough money to do something with God's resources, especially for the kingdom. And my response is, yes, you do. God gave you exactly what he gave you. Our job in Christ is to give thanks to enjoy the gifts that he has given us, and to be wise with those resources in having a certain lifestyle, in understanding that God gave us those resources generously in order to be generous. That's the intent of Scripture here. This is dedicated to many who love me and have been around Redeemer, but I'm doing it for you. God gives us this much. And we are called to live under here in a lifestyle. Our culture presses us to live up here. This distance is what you call debt, worry, fear, anxiety, and inability to keep up your overwhelmed financially. This under here is freedom, is joy, is a rest that God is taking care of you, is margin, and yes, it's even generosity. That's what God intends for us to do in our lifestyles. And I will grant for some of us, it takes a lot of work, maybe years to move down here, but that's what God's calling you to. Move from a life of debt to a life of generosity in God's grace. He's given you enough to live on. Why can I say that? How can I say that? Well, look at the fourth basic truth about God's gift that comes in verses 19 through 28. We're only going to read part of this. Look at this, verse 19. He says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, 
And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you deliver me to five, these five talents. Here I've made five talents for. And look how he responds. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know about you guys, but that little thing that Jesus said is what I think all of us long for as we live in our lives. But you know what I think is interesting about Jesus' response, or what Jesus says the owner's response is? The owner comes back. He's coming to reckon with the servants. And his first response to the, the guy who doubled his uh, five talents was, well done, good and faithful servants. It's kind of verbal affirmation. Well done. You did a great job. Well done. And then he says this wild thing. He says, I have given, you have been faithful over a little, $5 million. Cool. Now I'll give you much. Whoa, how much more do you have? And then he says this interesting thing. He says, enter into your master's joy. What, what is Jesus saying in this parable? Well, guys, he's pointing to heaven. He says, hey, if you've enjoyed riches of some shape, form, or fashion in this age, and you've been a good steward of them in Christ, what? You have something far bigger waiting. You think you're rich now or even have some resources now compared to other people? You ain't seen nothing yet. In fact, in Luke's version of this uh, passage in the five minus, he actually talks about how the master says you're going to oversee an entire city. Think about that. You think it's pretty cool having a house in Union County in your neighborhood. What if you had an entire city? He's pointing to what's coming. You know how I know that too? He says, enter into your master's rest or your master's joy. He's talking about, that's the language of coming to the table with the master and sitting and enjoying his presence and having access to him in a most direct way so that you enjoy his joy in his glory. This is a great picture of what lies ahead for us. But there is something about this text that is really striking to us. And it says this. Uh, somebody might say, well, given that God says you're going to enjoy more stuff, uh, somebody might say, hey, if, God, if I go to God and pray to him in our time uh, and, and give to church or other things in ministry, will God give big rewards now? This Oh, big material rewards now. This is the question that comes up among the health, wealth, prosperity crew. That if you trust God enough, you have enough faith. If you give enough, God will bless you in this life type thing. But here's the problem with that. That's not the application of this text. Notice the master comes back. And that's an allusion to Jesus' return. The rewards materially come after the master returns. And what that means is when we give in this life, when we utilize the Lord's resources with our homes, with our families, with, yes, even giving to his kingdom, we may be blessed in this life in some ways, maybe even materially, but ultimately that material blessing comes in eternity with God. The issue for each one of these servants is one thing, faithfulness. 
Are they faithful to what God intended in his purpose and what he's done? And that brings us to the third servant. Look at his response to the third servant in verse 24. (laughs) He would receive the one talent said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Yikes! (laughs) This is a shocking response coming from the lips of our loving Lord. But it is getting at the real heart of the matter for us regarding giving. Jesus Christ, the owner and creator of all things, will come back one day and we will all be held accountable for the use of God's resources. In this case, we found a man who was so struggling with resources that he refused to risk for the owner. And why does he say that? Because he was lazy, as he calls him, lazy He calls him slothful. Jesus gets at the real intent and purpose of what he wanted in verse 27. He said, hey, the very least you could do is put my money in the bank and make interest with the bankers. You could be wise in that way. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying he wants a return on his investment in you and me. He wants a return. That's what he wants. He's investing in us. He is the uh, capital startup giver, and he is expecting a return from us of some shape, form, or fashion. But let me be clear. (laughs) He honors that which is consistent with what we can do. You know how I know that? Because if you go back and look at the the, um, servant who who gave ten, or rather had two uh, talents and doubled them with two more... His response to that servant is exactly the same as the response he had appraising the guy who had made ten, uh, five million more dollars for him. What am I saying? I'm saying whatever gifts God gives you, use them faithfully for his purpose. Steward them well for he is the owner. And you will get an equal reward in praise in many ways. Jesus is about that in our lives. So, the guy with the third talent is judged. Uh, His very talent is taken away and given to one of the ones who actually was good at investing. And you got to wonder, how do we keep out of that place? (laughs) How do we not fall into the trap of being a lazy, slothful servant? Well, the answer is actually in our text. You must... Answer the question by, uh, you get the answer by answering the following question. What is the difference between the first two servants who doubled the owner's uh, investment and the one who buried it in the ground? What's the difference? Look at verse 25. It says this. The lazy servant was afraid. How insightful. When it comes to money, he was ruled by fear, not faith. This is our fifth key truth, is that we are called to not be afraid when it comes to money, but to trust in Christ and live by faith. If you really want to get down to why we spend so much and overdo it sometimes, why we get into debt, 
or as our text says, we hoard and do nothing for God, it all comes down to fear. What are you afraid of when it comes to money? I would suggest that right there where you struggle with fear is a disconnect between how we view God and how we view money. Too many of us view God as the hard man who reaps what he didn't sow. But you ought to know this. God is not a financial manipulator. This guy's view of God is not correct. In fact, the way the, 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 the owner responds is, you really think that's me? The truth of the matter is our God is a loving God who's good to us. He's kind. And in order to be a good servant of God's steward and stewarding God's resources, you have to first live with the goodness of God and the love of God in your soul. You have to live with that. And then when you understand and look around with thanksgiving at all that he's given you, it frees your heart up to be generous. To be generous, not only, I suggest, of money, but of relationship, of time, of talents, of treasure, everything. God takes care of us. And he wants us to think like children, not like slaves or Orphans who have nothing. The real art to following Christ, then, in the use of our monies, is living by faith, not by fear. And why should you do that? Well, Christ was the ultimate steward who got it all right financially in his life. God used him for his purposes, and even the resources Jesus had, he used for God's purposes. Christ was generous and loving to the poor. He was loving and generous when it came to mission. He took care of people's needs. Remember feeding of the 5,000, taking a little and doing a lot with it? Christ died on the cross for bad stewards like you and me, for sinners who are so afraid when it comes to money that we get stuck in how we use it. Christ is the judge, the owner in everything, who is telling this parable to us today. But he is also the Lord who affirms you when by faith you trust him and don't live in fear with your resources. You will never give deeply and passionately in resources in your time, talents, and treasures until you come to grips with how good, loving, and generous God has been to you and me. So, our fifth basic truth. And our response is, don't be afraid when it comes to money. It's a gift and a resource. But that's all it is. It isn't your life. Learn to embrace Christ by faith and follow Him in what He wants you to do with, your res- with the resources He's provided. And you know what? He might provide you with a surprising reward in conclusion. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name R.G. Letourneau. He committed his life to Christ at the age of 16 and went on to become one of the most successful businessmen in the 20th century. And at the same time, he managed to help invent modern earth-moving trucks. That whole industry came from him in large part. You know, these big, massive trucks that move huge no, uh, amounts of dirt and, and move dirt around. 
As Letourneau's wealth increased, he decided to live on just 10% of his income. Now, that's a little tougher for some of us in the middle class, all right? But he gave away 90% of what he made to Christian kingdom work. He founded Laterno Christian University in Texas. He gave generously to mission work in Africa and South America, really fueling missions growth a great deal during the 20th century. And when asked why he gave so much money away, Laterno answered the following in the following way. The question is not how much money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. Man, that is a picture of a steward. A steward who understands who the real owner is. A steward who understands in Christ I am forgiven and free to make new choices. That's an answer of a man who isn't afraid of money, but will use it for God's glory. How about you? Will you turn from fear to faith in Christ, even when it comes to your pocketbook? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you that you have been merciful to us. And I mean, we look at all that we have in our lives, and some of us are in tight spots financially. Some of us are in uh, really good places financially. But either way, you've been generous. We pray that you would lead us as a congregation towards this kind of perspective on your resources, towards a sense of accountability, a sense of, of you, Jesus, leading us to give, to take care of our families, for all the ways that you have called us to use resources and money. Give us wisdom, even as a church, to use them well, so that we might hear those wonderful words one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enjoy your master's presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.